Welcome to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast presented by Markel Insurance. Today we're introducing a new episode series, Full Focus, with Cindy Reich, which will be a recurring segment featuring Cindy as she discusses a whole host of topics as they relate to mares and foals in the breeding barn. Enjoy! Hello everybody, this is Paul Costa with We Love Arabian Horses podcast, and today we're thrilled to have Cindy Reich with us again. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Paul. We are thrilled to have you in what we're calling Series 2 of your foaling and mare preparation and all of that expertise that you share with us. You're a lecturer at Cal Poly. You come with tremendous credentials, not only as an international judge, but longtime advocate for Arabian horses, and we're just thrilled to have you here. We're going to talk about mare care and preparation for foaling. Absolutely. I mean, foaling is such a, an intense and magnificent and wonderful time. But it's always—it's also the one time where you don't have a lot of control over the situation. And um, as horse people, we're always used to, you know, trying to manipulate things the way we want them to go. But um, this is this is one situation where 99% of the time it goes really, really well, no problems. Horses have been having foals on their own for thousands of years. But and the 1% of times when things may not be going the way you want them to go, it's really good to have this knowledge so that you know what to do and you can do certain things at certain times that can, you know, just increase your chances of having a, a nice, safe folding with a healthy fold on the ground. Well, let's do this, Cindy. I'm going to say what the four topics are, and I know each of these could be an hour lecture on their own, but let's just lay out for the listeners what we're going to talk about today. And then we will um, cover what we can. And if we don't get to it all, then we can do another series um, podcast later, okay? Absolutely. Um, I think that would be great. So the, the four topics that you had chosen were preparing for foaling, predicting foaling time, the one, two, three rule, and checking the placenta. So why don't we start with preparing for foaling, and let's just have a little bit of information about that. Absolutely. So what, when you have a mare that's going to foal, and it doesn't matter if you're foaling out 50 mares or you're foaling out two mares, um, you always want to kind of do a pre-check. It's like having, you know, a toddler baby because it's not like having a human baby because that human baby right after birth doesn't go out by itself and investigate things. So you want to look at your foaling area and make just make sure that it's safe. Whether you're foaling outside or inside, in a stall, in a shed, in a paddock, just make sure that it's clean and that it's safe. That there are no foal traps. And two of the biggest foal traps that happen in facilities are water tanks and fences. So it, whether the foal is being foaled outside or inside, make sure that your fences are not so high on the bottom rail that a foal can slip through. I've had so, so many uh, times at different farms in different situations where a foal has just slipped, a newborn foal has slipped up under the fence and yep. been in the next pen with horses. And so it doesn't take a lot to just put up some mesh along the bottom, do something so that that foal uh, can't go underneath that fence. The other big issue are water tanks. You know, a foal can actually, a newborn foal can drown in a five-gallon bucket of water, and I don't want to panic everybody out there. But when that newborn foal is just starting to stand up and trying to walk and it falls over, it doesn't really have control of its legs. You don't want to have it near a big water tank or something directly after foaling where it could potentially fall into a tank or fall into a bucket. Uh, once it's got control over its legs, that's not an issue, but that's a very sensitive time. And if you're not present for the foaling, 
um, you know, then it's very tragic to come out and find that something has happened, a pole has, has fallen and and crept into a water tank or into a, a water bucket. So sure. make sure your area make sure your area is safe. When we get to the polling stall, the majority, I wouldn't say the majority, depends on where in the world that you are. And I know we broadcast all over the world, but um, make sure if you're polling inside of a stall, I prefer, and everybody has their own choices, so I'm not dictating, I'm just saying what I prefer, is that if you have mats in your stall, which which most people do, and, I, and mats are, are very, very good for keeping a stall clean and for cushioning the horse, I like to use a, a combination of shavings and straw. Uh, I don't like to do 100% shavings because shavings are very dusty. And that newborn foal, when it's laying in the shavings and it's trying to breathe, uh, it's inhaling shaving, it's inhaling dust. It's not really the healthiest thing in the world. But on the other hand, if you have mats in your stall and you just do straight straw, that's pretty slippery. So when the foal is trying to stand up and there's straw and a stall mat, then sometimes it can be a little bit difficult for the foal to stand. So for me, ideally, I like to have a thin layer of shavings on top of the mat. That uh, also absorbs all the fluids or a lot of the fluids from foaling. And then a deep straw bed on top of that so that the foal isn't really having its face up against the shavings while it's tr struggling to get up, but it has just a cleaner base on top of that. Now, if you have dirt in your stall instead of um, pads, then you can you, you can go 100% with straw because the foal can stand up on that surface. But sure. that you'd want to make sure that it's a clean environment, that it's not going to be, um, you know, in, inhaling that dust if you can avoid it. Now, a lot of people foal outside, and that's ideal. That's a really great way to foal. A nice, clean paddock with fresh grass is a wonderful place to foal. So, you know, people shouldn't feel like they must fall in a stall. There's a lot of different situations depending on people's location and their setup. But make sure it's safe. Make sure it's clean. So That's amazing. What, yeah, no, it's it, and it's just you just want to use common sense. But then so in, in preparation for the arrival of this foal, you want to have a foaling kit on hand with just some basic things in it. It doesn't have to be extensive. As we talked about on our last talk, you want to have a pair of scissors. I like to have a pair of scissors hanging on the front of the stall so people aren't running around trying to look for scissors if, in fact, there is a red bag situation, which people can learn about on our previous podcast. You want to have – I have uh, baling twine in the, in the foaling kit, which we'll talk about a little bit later, why we have baling twine in there. Um, I prefer to have the mare wearing her halter, whether she's inside or outside when she's due to fall, just in the case of something, you know, is wrong or something happens and you need to restrain that mare. Um, when she's in the middle of falling isn't when you want to go run, get a halter and try and put it on her. So I recommend that the mare wear a halter before she falls um, just for safety's sake. And, and I always pref much prefer a leather halter over a nylon one if they're going to be wearing it full time. So the mayor should already have a halter. You want to have a lead rope ready. You want to have a pair of scissors. You want to have some bailing twine. You want to have a, a disinfectant like Novacin or Betadine. Um, gloves like shoulder gloves being used for palpation or even hand gloves, uh, the latex or neoprene or whatever it's called for hand gloves in case you needed to go into the mayor for some reason. Um, you know, these are just basic things that you already have on hand, but you just want to collect them into one spot. You also need to have your veterinarian's phone number, which most all horse people have them programmed into their phone, but have your veterinarian's phone number available. 
And if you have staff or people that are looking after the horses, make sure that the, the veterinarian's number is posted prominently somewhere. So if someone doesn't have that phone number in their phone for whatever reason, they have the veterinarian's number right to hand. Those are all things that, you know, there are simple things that you can do to get ready for that fold. That's amazing. So, um, really great information. One quick question. Why the leather versus nylon halter? And do you recommend that the baby can wear the halter all the time or should you not do that? Sure. So I can, I'll just tell you my thoughts on it. You know, everybody has different things. So for me, for the mayor, um, absolutely why I prefer leather to nylon is because leather can break. Nylon halters, unfortunately, it's a, it's a graphic thought, but I have seen horses um, in my career that have been killed. Uh, when they got a nylon halter caught on a fence and couldn't break free. And so to me, I always prefer leather halters because if a horse does get it caught, it's going to break. And that's the primary reason. On the foals, and we need to do a whole podcast about foals, so we'll talk about that. Yes, I'll leave foal, uh, halters on young foals full-time, but only if they're leather. Never, never, never with a nylon halter. And in some instances, we won't. We don't leave the halters on them full-time. But I think that's a subject for an upcoming podcast that we could talk about, which is like directly after birth, you know, about a halter and halter breaking and all of that okay. sort of stuff. Well, let's so, move on then to the predicting the polling time. Exactly. So this is a big topic for everybody because um, as you and I and everybody of our generation knows, I mean, how many sleepless, not, not, I, you know, however many nights I've spent sleeping in barns outside of stalls on straw bales and hay bales and things like that. And even when I was a kid and my mom, you know, we, we had a tack room with windows in each side and there was a stall on either side of the tack room where the folding, you know, the folding mares went. So we'd set up a, a, a cot in the tack room and could look at them through the windows. But you know, the mares know that you're there and the horsemen, there's an old saying that, um, you know, the mare, the foal picks the day, but the mare picks the hour. And I've absolutely had mares where you could be down there, you know, very quiet, you know, sleeping on a cot or whatever, waiting for that mare to fall. And you go up to the house to fix a cup of coffee and you're only gone like 15 minutes. You come back and there's the fall. You know, these mares like to, to have their privacy when they fall. And they, while they can't stop the foal from being born when it's absolutely time to be born, I do believe that they can they can delay things by a few hours. So now with the advent of cameras and we can watch them remotely, that has helped a whole lot because those mares don't feel that pressure, that presence of somebody like hanging around their stall um, while they're getting ready to fall. And may, everybody doesn't have cameras, but cameras make things a lot easier to watch those mares. So the big question, how do you know when the mare is going to fall? How many you know nights have we spent up over and over and over and over again and nothing happens? So there are a number of things that you can use that are uh, alarms, let's call them. And they range from there's an alarm that, that fits on the halter. There's an alarm that fits on a band that goes around the mare's, um, you know, belly right behind the withers. There's uh, an alarm that is sutured into the vulva of the mare. And, and there's lots of different things that when the mare lays down or in the case of the foal alert that goes onto the vulva, when the foal is actually being born, an alarm will go off, and so it'll cue you to the fact that the mare is falling. The only problem is, is that, you know, I, I always say the only thing consistent about mares is their inconsistency. And so they'll always find ways around these, these things. 
So what we do and, and what I've done for the past, I don't know, maybe 15 years or so, is we do a milk calcium test on the mares every day before they foal. And I'm talking, it's not super labor intensive, and there's some really good reasons for doing this besides being able to fairly, no system is 100%, but fairly becoming fairly close to determining when that mare is going to foal. And so doing a milk calcium, and there's also a pH test. You can buy a test where, you know, you test the secretions from the mare's udder and then the pH will change. Um, you know, research has shown that when a mare is getting ready to fold, right before she folds, the calcium level of her milk goes up really high, really, really quickly. And we use that marker to try and narrow that window of when that mare is expected to fold so that hopefully we don't spend too many nights up losing sleep over it. So that method, which is the milk calcium test and the foal alert, which in, I, you know, I'm not, a, I don't work for the foal alert company. This is an unsolicited endorsement, but we've used foal alerts for many years, particularly in farms that have, are foaling out a large number of mares because these alarms that attach onto the vulva, um, they are the most reliable. In other words, you seldom miss a foal with that system. The Downside to the foal alert is that a vet needs to um, put that foal alert on the mare. Sometimes they rub the alert off and they have to be put back on again. And the mares aren't crazy about them, but they will absolutely, um, you know, not have you miss a foaling. And in fact, it, the electronics of this foal alert is that when it's uh, triggered, it will actually call your telephone number and, and tell you that the, the mare is folding. So if you're on a different part of the farm and the mare is folding at 10 in the morning, that's a really good system. Um, but it's expensive and it requires veterinary intervention. So it's, so not everybody can do that. And if you're only having one or two foals, um, there's lots of other things. So the milk calcium test, um, you can actually buy a kit from your plumbing company. Um, it's just a kit to use to test for calcium levels in um, in water for plumbers. And there's a commercial one that's marketed specifically for horse people, but you don't need to have that one. It's the same kit that you can buy from a plumber. And maybe Paul will put some information up uh, on the names and, you know, wh where people can find out more information about these systems. But in any event, to um, do the milk calcium test, so it is labor intensive in that you need to have the mare, you know, caught up and then milk a little bit of secretion from her udder. And we start maybe about 10 to 12 days before the mare is due, unless she's showing us some other signs that she might be getting closer. And we milk, just we, you just use a half, you just need a half a cc, which is a very small amount of fluid from the mare's udder. And then you test it with the milk calcium test. Now, when the test and what it measures is how many million parts of calcium there is per, uh, you know, per milliliter of the mare's fluid. And when it gets uh, above 200 to 250, um, 90 per, over 90% of the mares will fall in the next 48 hours. When it gets over 300, 97% of the mares will fall within 24 hours. So when we get a positive, when we get those levels on the milk calcium test, we're able to narrow that window of sitting up waiting for that mare to fall. Now, I will say that it's, no test is 100%, not the pH test, not the full alert, and not the milk calcium test. Um, I've had mares that have foaled at a milk calcium of 150, but they're rare. The majority of the mares 
do fall around those perimeters. And it can really save you a lot of sleep um, during the folding season so that you're not, um, you know, you don't sleep through your mare's folding. But for me, one of the best things about doing the milk calcium test, and we do it in the afternoon, every afternoon, because it can change in a short period of time. Um, so there's no point in doing the milk calcium test in the morning because it could be a much different reading in the afternoon. And since most mares foal in the middle of the night, we'll do it in the late afternoon. And, you know, that is usually quite predictive. But it, it, what it causes you to do, which many people do not do, is to handle that mare's udder in advance of foaling. And absolutely, particularly if it's a maiden mare, this is really, really important because maiden mares foaling, if they haven't had their udders handled and gotten used to having people handle their udders, oftentimes that foal goes up there for the first time to nurse. She's got a full udder. It's very painful. She doesn't know what's happening. You know, this thing just appeared in the stall with her, and now it's trying to nurse, and it's butting up against that painful udder. And, and mares have rejected foals over things simply be, over simply having a painful udder and not wanting that foal to nurse. So by desensitizing the udder through this milk calcium testing procedure, we, you end up not only having a pretty close window of knowing when that mare is going to foal, but you've desensitized that mare's udder to where that's not going to be a problem when that foal starts to nurse. That's great. Well, listen, let's, Let's talk about the one, two, three rule, and then let's save the rest for another one because I can tell there's a lot of topics. So let's talk about the <laughs> yeah, one, two, three sure. rule, right? <laughs> for sure, absolutely. Well, we'll do the one, two, three rule because yeah, this is a, this is something that we teach over a full semester, right? So a, a lecture every week for a full semester to cover all the aspects of folding. So uh, yeah, it's you can take a deep dive, but I find folding just so fascinating. Um, I absolutely love it that, um, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a favorite topic to be sure. So the one, two, three rule, and this is something that we teach the students there, and, and I teach other people as well when working on farms and things like that. Um, but I want to start out by saying the one, two, three rule is not written in stone. It's a guideline. But by the one, two, three rule, what we mean is that at one hour, the foal should stand. By two hours, the foal should be nursing. And by three hours, the mare should have passed her placenta. Now, those are kind of markers that you want to set to, to look for when you're foaling out a mare, particularly if you don't have a lot of experience with foaling out a mare, because um, a lot of people don't know. They don't know, you know, like it's been four hours and my foal hasn't stood up yet. Is that is that normal or is that not normal? So one hour to stand, two hours to nurse, three hours for the mare to pass the placenta. Uh, again, not written in stone. Some foals will be a little bit slow. If it takes them an hour and a half to stand up, that's not a big deal. But if it's been two hours and that foal hasn't stood up, then you're going to want to call your veterinarian. You're going to want to talk about, you know, a plan. You want to kind of read the situation and see what's going on. And I might add, and I didn't talk about this in preparing the area for where your mare is going to fall, but talk with your veterinarian before your mare falls. You know, tell your veterinarian, hey, I've got, you know, so-and-so, I think she's going to fold this week. I'm just giving you a heads up. Who's on call this week, late at night? Um, you know, have a relationship with your veterinarian so that it's not a big surprise if you call them at 3 in the morning because there's a problem. Uh, make sure that they know that mare is, is due to fold. But you want to hit those three markers, um, you know, fairly close. Now, a mare, uh, and we'll talk about this in depth on the next podcast because the placenta is a whole topic, but... Um, a mare is considered to have a retained placenta if she hasn't dropped the placenta after four hours. 
so that's why you know if again if the mayor hasn't hasn't passed the placenta and it's four or five six hours something needs to be changing because that's going on too long if it's been more than two hours and the foal hasn't nursed yet you know then you want to start thinking about options uh to get milk into that foal because that's super super important in fact colostrum is another that's a whole nother podcast topic but it's a fascinating one so that's the the take-home message is to use those markers as a guideline. Sure. If you're going outside those markers, then you have to start thinking of changing something. Well, that's fantastic. And I know uh, if for even me, who's not someone who does the breeding and the foaling of a lot of babies, just being able to remember the one, two, three is super helpful. So thank you for that. And thank you for all this information, Cindy. And we're definitely going to schedule another in your series. And for th- folks that are listening and following Cindy, we're going to be doing some webinars also with some online content in a visual format, hopefully in the next few months. So thank you, Cindy, for your time and effort, and we'll be in touch again soon. My pleasure. This is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure that you click subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Comments? questions, guest ideas, feel free to send me an email at austin at welovearabianhorses.com or just use the contact us button on our website at welovearabianhorses.com. Thanks for listening.